0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we? <laughs> I love the, the little delay there every time. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And you might be thinking, like Christmas in Ecclesiastes, like how is that possible? But we'll, uh, it'll make sense once we get there. Uh, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, welcome to the district. We are in a season of what we call Advent, and that is just a season in which we are awaiting, and then there's this angst that is building of of an arrival that is coming. And so this historically has been them remembering and looking at the Israelites, the people of God, awaiting a Savior to come, a Messiah to come. And so we are entering into uh, sort of that reality of as we are now seeing, looking back, that the Savior did come, uh, we are now also entering into a time and a season in which we are still awaiting for his second advent, the second arrival of Christ. And so this this brings us to that just remembrance every single year when we come to really the first or or the the four weeks uh, in between Thanksgiving leading up to Christmas. And so last week, one of the things that we wanted to do was look at the assurances of a Savior. And so what has God provided for us throughout his story, throughout the Bible, throughout his word that has pointed to or given us assurance that he was going to actually come and fix what we broke. And so that's why we wanted to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 last week and really kind of unpack and break down for you. This is how God created everything to exist, how it was to work and how it was to function for his glory and for our good, for our enjoyment, for, for anything and everything in creation, for us to have happiness and peace and contentment and pleasure God did that in the Garden of Eden and then just gave one rule, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with that, we kind of talked about just the the fact that the reason why he put the rule there was to show us that, again, obedience to God brings about the greatest joy for us. And so if they would have just simply obeyed God in the rule, don't eat of this tree, is also them obeying God and then him commanding them to enjoy each other and to enjoy all of creation freely in complete and total freedom. And so we broke that, we fractured that, and that is what led to what we call the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel that was ever preached in Genesis 3 when God comes into the garden and he says to the serpent that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman's offspring and that through her offspring is going to come one, who is going to crush your head, and through that, you are also going to bruise his heel. And so this is the the first gospel preached, the first assurance that what has now been broken is ultimately going to be fixed in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And then from there, you really get the next, from Genesis to Malachi, you get 456 prophecies or assurances or promises that are proclaiming there is going to be one to come and this is what you are to look for and it's going to all be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ so that when Jesus Christ actually shows up on the scene he says I have not come to abolish the law I have not come to do away with Everything that is in the Old Testament, all the commands that you are called to follow by, all the rituals and ceremonies that you are called to observe, I'm not doing away with those things, but actually I'm coming to fulfill those things. And so I am the person and work that those things pointed to. And the temporary, and that's going to be important for us today, the temporary things that those things were providing, forgiveness of sins and celebrations and, and, and peace from your sins as well, What was temporary in the Old Testament, Christ not only came to fulfill, but also provides the eternal that those temporary things did not provide. And so we see it all being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which leads us to today, as we kind of enter into this fulfillment of all of those prophecies, what then are the adversaries of a Savior? What are the adversaries that keep us from seeing the fulfillment of Christ? In the eternal, when it comes to everything that this season, as you'll see in a moment, is preaching and proclaiming to us in the temporary. And so that's what we're kind of going to look at today the adversaries. What is ultimately robbing you of the joy that is to be had in this season because of uh, what we ultimately kind of see? And so, what I want to do is kind of actually just do this sort of unscientific poll. I, I've got some questions that I want to ask you, and I actually want you to raise your hands, and if you're um, listening online, I don't know, you can text me a yes or no if you want, um, but I want you to actually raise your hands when I ask these questions, and and, and I also want you to, to not give me the right answer. Like, don't give me the Christian answer. I want you to give me the real answer to these questions that, that I'm going to ask. I think I've got six questions, and um, That I want to look at here. And so here's my first question. And again, I I want us to be real here. How many of you, if you were honest, would say that maybe deep in your heart that you believe that if your schedule wasn't so busy or your life wasn't so hectic, if somehow you could slow things down and create more space, that you would be more content than you are right now? Hands. I want to see them. Maybe it's not busyness. Let's say maybe you have a relationship that's, that's fractured. Maybe you're in a situation where you've just kind of feel this loneliness. And if that were to be fixed, if, if, if relationships were working the way that they should be working, you would feel a little bit more content in life right now. Anybody on that? That sphere? Let me do some simple ones for you. How many of you believe you would be more content if you just had a different job? If you, like, work with someone in here in the same job, like, don't raise your hand. But if you just had a different job. Like, when you were kids, there was there was something that you dreamed about. Did Josh raise his hand? Okay, whatever. Um, when we were kids, there was something that you dreamed. Like, for me, like, I wanted to be a stuntman in the movies. Like, I don't know why. That was just, oh, like, I, as a 7-year-old, I was, like, making ramps out of plywood. Like, that was what I wanted to do when I grew up, and, and even still, like, I love my job, but there's days where I'm like, man, just jumping ramps with cars sounds way better than this, um, but yeah, for some of us, maybe just a different job would, would make us content, how about money, if you just had a little bit more cash, a little, a little bit more money, would you, you'd, you'd be a little bit more content in life, and how about this one, I always kind of want to do the reciprocity here, I think the Bible does that for us as well. How many of you feel like you would be more content if you had less stuff, if you had less things to manage? How many of you would be content if I just stopped asking questions? (laughs) Okay, good. First of all, I believe you and I have been discipled by our culture at large in discontentment. I think you and I have been discipled at large by our culture in what we call just discontentment. And we're experts in it. I believe this to be one of the, if not the main roots of us being robbed of our joy in Christ is the fact that we are discipled in discontentment. This was the lie the devil gave to Adam and Eve, as Josh even just shared in the confession. He literally is marketing for them this idea of discontentment. Like, what you have, what they possess, is not enough. Because if you think about it, what did they possess? Perfect union and communion in relationship with God. And they got to enjoy everything that he created. More so than what we have right now. Everything. And yet, he came to them and said, you're still missing out, right? Like, it was... Right, like probably even before Thanksgiving at this point, like he's just already marketing for them the commercials that you need the Lexus with the bow and the driveway. Like you need more than what you have, and therefore you're actually being robbed of the fullness of joy that is yours. So Satan, really, he's kind of the first marketer that comes in. If you're a marketer, like I'm not saying that you're on his team, but this is something that we kind of want to dial into in this season. They are simply discontent with God. Now, they say that you can figure out what a person or a people value based on what they sort of celebrate, whether it's individually or whether it's as groups or whether it's as churches or uh, corporations. What they value is ultimately what they really celebrate. And hopefully here at the district church, what you see that we celebrate is always putting first Christ above, above above. Above everything. like We want Christ magnified. And that's why we're going to make sure that, again, as you hear in our vision, that the district church exists to glorify God, who is Jesus, by making disciples, which are pupils, followers, disciples of Jesus, and that we're going to do that through a gospel-centered centrality. Gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. And the reason why we're redundant about the gospel centrality is because the gospel is the good news of the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And so it's all about Christ. That's what we want to ultimately celebrate. And we hope that that's kind of coming through in everything that we offer, whether it's um, music or proclamation of the word or baptism or communion or, or community groups or the institutes. What we're trying to ultimately say is that Jesus is the hero. He's what you need You don't need me, you don't need Josh, you don't need Ransford, you don't need our team leaders, you don't necessarily need each other, even though that's a part of the equation, but what you ultimately need at every aspect of your life is Christ. That's what we are all about, and that's what we want at the the deepest level of why we exist. And so you don't need gimmicks to hold your attention when it comes to what we do here on a Sunday. That's why you don't, and I'm not maybe i am knocking them, but like church with fog machines like we just don't we're not going to do fog machines cuz we're not trying to gimmick you into experiencing something that's not actually there but when we continue to behold Christ and put him before you that that is the thing that stirs your emotions that stirs your affections that when we teach the truths of Christ and it informs your mind it's actually allowing your your your, your person your soul, your mind, your heart, to be transformed into the person of Jesus Christ because you now see Him for who He truly is. And the Holy Spirit then does a work in your life to make you more like Him so that when it then connects your heart and your head and those things come together, you are able to worship by living out the lifestyle that He deems is necessary as He reorders creation. We'll get into that here in a minute. But that's ultimately what we are here to celebrate. And it's not about anything else. But there are very few things here that get celebrated outside of that. And the things that are celebrated outside of that, we believe, are trying to, again, point you toward that, even in the celebration of it outside. But with discontentment and celebration in mind, what then does this sort of Mount Everest of Western um, holidays teach us about our culture When you think about how we are wired or discipled in discontentment, and then at the same time, what we value most, we then celebrate. When it comes to this season of Christmas, it says something about us as a culture. It says something about us as a people. And if we're honest, there's nothing like this season. We think about it, no other holiday gets the attention that Christmas gets, Right? I mean, it's just true, like Thanksgiving gets like maybe two weeks, or Halloween gets a couple of weeks, Thanksgiving gets kind of the clearance section of Halloween plus some just pumpkin decorated plates and a couple of aisles, but Christmas, like when I walked into Walmart back in I think August or September, I was already walking into a winter wonderland of Christmas trees and lights because they're saying you're getting a fourth of the store in four months to be able to ramp up to this holiday season. And not only that, but I mean, again, there's, there's the wars going on about when you can start playing Christmas music. And I think the needle is moving further towards you can play before Thanksgiving. There's just more people about it because they care more about what the, the Christmas season is pushing towards rather than just the being thankful. Because, again, it's revealing something about us and our discontentment that if I was truly thankful for things, then I would be thankful for them. But because I'm missing out on things, Christmas season is telling me that I can get it. That I can receive it. And that I can focus on it and eventually, or maybe even just distract myself from the fact that I am possibly lacking. There's even a thing called Christmas in July. Like it's idiotic, but there's Christmas in July. Because we want this type of There's hope to be had in getting and receiving. And again, I know that there's streams out there where it's better to give than to receive. And they they try to make or set the tone with Giving Tuesday that this is a season of giving. But when you really boil it all down, our Christmas season and our culture is marketed that what you're missing out on you can finally get. Make a wish list, write a letter to Santa... Whatever it is that you need to do, give the gifts or, 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 or drop the hints to your loved ones that this is what you want. And you know your phone is listening. So, some strategies is pick up your spouse's phone and just speak into it what you want. And they'll start getting ads on their phones for whatever that thing is. Like, this stuff is really happening. And so, we have to think about this when it comes to our season. And again, don't hear me say that like, I'm hateful towards Christmas. I'm all in, I love Christmas. I love the celebration of it. I love the lights. I love the trees. Like we went and cut down a tree uh, last week and and enjoyed that process. I thought it would be less expensive since you're doing the work, but it was the opposite. Um, I guess it's just the experience of the matter. But we're in. And so let me give you what I believe is the soul level message behind the holiday season, behind Christmas, that our culture is discipling us in. And and I'm gonna oversimplify this and then I'll flesh it out. Are you ready? Here's the message Your life stinks. That's the message of our Christmas season. Your life stinks. You're welcome, buddy. (laughs) Nice. But it's true, you're lacking. You're missing out on life. But praise God Almighty, the Christmas season is here. We're going to fix everything. We're going to solve everything. It's magical. We're going to get what's missing in our lives. Families are going to come together because that solves everything, right? There's going to be joy and harmony and holly. And by God, we're going to enjoy this. Our lives are going to now make sense. What we are lacking Materially. To make us content is going to be received under a tree in the form of a beautifully wrapped present. And the purpose we seek and the hope we have will finally be fulfilled in this season. That's what the this season is marketed to, to execute and to accomplish. And it's brilliant. I believe those who have been trained in marketing know more about the human condition than God help us, some of our churches and pastors. It's just true. They know more about the human condition. Like that serpent in the Garden of Eden was the first marketer. Take their eyes off of what they already possess and turn their eyes to what they don't have and make them desire it by presenting it as something greater than it actually is. That's what they did. It was a fruit, but they saw it as more than its intrinsic value. I mean, Listen to this, Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It's a tree with fruit on it. But Satan wrapped this thing up and marketed it in more than what it actually had to offer. And that's exactly what the Lexus with the bow is going to do. That's exactly what that new shiny toy is going to do. That's so what all of these things that we're putting our hope into, even, even the family get-togethers and the meals that we think are, are kind of having this, what we just kind of recall is a nostalgia. Like, you think it is better than what they actually are. We remember the fact that times were good. And, that, and, and some of you, I'm not saying that all your families, When you get, you're you probably thinking, Man, I don't want to do Christmas with Dwayne's family, it's awful. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we tend to remember it better than it was. Or we think this year is going to be better than it usually is. And we put more weight in that than we do the actual season. We're shooting for the Clark Griswold, but we don't see all the actual messes that happen when trees are lit on fire and squirrels are running around and dogs are eating out of the trash and all kinds of things are going on in the actual scene. But what we're remembering is the lights coming on and we're remembering the fact that the families are hugging one another and, and, and probably in reality currently, if you were to get that many people in a house, you probably are going to have some law enforcement come through the windows and break the thing down because it's illegal at this point. But we're envisioning it to be something more than it actually is. Or that that's actually going to solve what, what we want to experience. And for whatever reason, every year we push our chips in. We believe, and when, even when we don't want to. We just love the season. Now... Don't hear me say, don't enjoy the season. Because I think it's important to enjoy the season. I think there's just a way in which God reorders how we are to go about creation and how we are to steward it that does not rob us of the greater joy that is to be had. Because here's the thing. He's not saying, don't enjoy creation. Don't enjoy celebrations, don't enjoy rituals, don't enjoy family. He's not saying cut those things off and only focus on Jesus. But what he is saying is that as we have experienced these common graces, if we take these common graces, which are good things, and we make them a God thing, That's what then robs us of the joy that is to be had because what we will find is those things actually fall short. They don't satisfy the soul and they don't satisfy the whole that is in our heart of what we are actually longing for that this season is telling us we're missing out on. And so that's why it's important for us to kind of figure this out. And this is where I want to kind of get into the Bible so that you can see why is it that again, our culture jumps all in on Christmas and how does the Bible speak into this so that we are not robbed of joy when we give all of our chips into culture and then it doesn't work out for us, we're then frustrated, and then we got to start with the whole New Year's list of trying to figure out, okay, how do we now change ourselves because Christmas didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out, and so let's better ourselves in this route, and, and then it's, it's an endless cycle because then by February, you've quit, you've quit those New Year's uh, plans, and then you're frustrated with yourself again, and it just, on and on it goes. But I want you to see here in Genesis 1.27, again, you're in Ecclesiastes 3, stay there. Genesis 1.27, the Bible says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then we see in Genesis 2, God says, let us make man in our image. He's referring to his own image. And so what sets you and me apart from the rest of creation is not our thumbs, it's not our consciences, but that you and I have been made in the image of God. And although the rest of the creative order declares the glories of God, as mankind, you and I have a unique and a more brilliant reflection of the glory of God than anything else in all of creation. We've been made in His image. As God made us in His image, there are certain untouchable Intangible things that He sealed inside of us that in many ways create little pathways we walk on either for ill or for ultimate good and salvation. And this is what I want to show you why we as humans choose the routes we go down or buy into the lies that we buy into because of the way that we were actually designed. This is Ecclesiastes 3. Looking at verse 11, this is where we're at. Main verse I want you to see today. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put enmity, or enmity, not enmity. He has put eternity, I was seeing if you're listening, all right? He's put enmity. He's put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So I want to stop there. We'll spend the bulk of our time together on this little phrase. Not the, he made everything beautiful in its time. That's, that's a whole other sermon for another day. But I want to concentrate on the, he has put eternity into our hearts. So you and I, from birth, came out with a chasm. A chasm. A gap of eternity in our hearts and in our souls. If you have a background in church, you, you've heard it said, maybe something like this, there's a hole in man's heart that only God can fill. You might have heard that. It's very evangelistic, like everything you trust in is not going to work. There's a hole in your heart that only God can fill. or It's a, or a, a God-sized hole or a God-shaped hole that only he can be the one to fulfill it. And so this is this idea. There's a God-shaped box in every man's heart that only he can fill. They're pulling that idea from this passage, and it's at the core of who we are. A gap of eternity that we're longing to fill. Like God created us and designed us with a deep longing for Him. A deep longing for Him. And this is why truth and the proclamation of God's Word is so important, because truth and the proclamation of God's Word is what teaches and tells people how that hole, can, that longing can be filled. And unfortunately for you and me, we seek to fill the gap of eternity with what is temporary. What is temporary. And what is temporary will we'll never fill the gap of eternity. I mean, this should be very elementary for us. This should be very Christian 101 for us. This, this, this should be, in a lot of, of us, our salvation story is that we were running after X, Y, and Z. We were running after uh, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. We were running after cars, or we were running after sports, or we were running after entertainment, or we were running after drugs, or we were running after whatever it was that was never satisfying, never giving me any purpose, never really providing for me what I thought it would provide for me. And so I found it to be lacking. And then Jesus came into the picture, and finally I found satisfaction because Jesus became my greatest treasure rather than fill in the blank If we're Christian in this room we know this because we've experienced this If we're not Christian in this room or if we're not Christian listening or if you know someone who's not Christian and who does not live under the banner of Jesus Christ they don't know this They know their longing they know that everything that they're fighting for or pursuing, whether it's in career or relationships or monetary value or uh, fill in the blank, whatever it is that they're going after has still not fulfilled their life, It's still not providing for them any satisfaction. And here's the crazy thing. Like, I just don't think this is hard to understand that temporary stuff works for a season, Like, for a moment, it works, right? And this is why I think it's so easy for us to buy into it, is because for a moment, we thought it was legit. We thought it was going to provide what I was actually going after. And so maybe the reason why it stopped providing was because I didn't do it right, or it wasn't the right gift, or it wasn't the right car, or it wasn't the right fill in the blank. And so we'll again kind of buy into the lie that we'll... We'll try it again. We'll go for it. But here's the reality is, again, temporary things can in moments be fantastic for you. And I think God even, again, gives us moments of temporary things to enjoy. Knowing that in those things, He's going to then not allow them to continue fulfilling what they're trying to do in those moments. And I'll just use marriage for example here. For those who are married in this room, On your wedding day was not a day that you had to put a lot of effort into experiencing the joyful bliss, right? I'm not leading up to like the the, the planning. I'm not talking about all that stuff that was stressful. I'm just talking about on the day of your wedding was a day for you to simply experience. Like you didn't have to have... Uh, a sit down argument of what your disagreements were that week or you didn't have to sit down and, and why did we have this you know, misunderstanding between the two of us and you have to kind of work through that and you have to, okay, I'm going to give you a few hours to kind of breathe and let out some steam and then let's, let's come back at this again and see if we can kind of uh, uh, um, come back together and enjoy one another again because right now we don't. That didn't happen on your wedding day. Most of you. <laughs> I don't know all of you. But I'm saying most of you on your wedding day, it was a high watermark day. It was a day in which you got to just enjoy joy and happiness and pleasure and peace. And then you fast forward it, maybe a few months, a couple of years. It is still a delight, but it's work, right? Right? I hope I'm not the only one in the room here 10 years in thinking that it's work. There should be some more amens in here. It's work. Because it's temporary. I'm not saying the marriage is temporary. I'm saying the moments that are high watermarks are not meant to last. Because we are not created for them to last. We are not created for these moments of deep Intimate pleasure for them to last in a way in which we are trying to use that to fulfill the, the, that that part in our heart, our soul that is longing. That's why, again, I kind of going back to youth ministry. I used to hate, in some ways, hate, despise. I mean, I was able to finally categorize them, but I used to hate like going to uh, youth conferences or youth camps or. Or whatever it was where we would take the students for a week and they would experience this mountaintop thing. And Because what, oh, what I always knew was this is going to be a fantastic week. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to love it. And they're going to experience Jesus in a deeper and more intimate way. But when we get back in about two weeks and they get back to the mundane aspects of life, they're then going to question why they're not on the mountaintop anymore. They're going to get to this place of how come I'm not experienced Jesus like I experienced him at the camp. Because it's temporary. The Bible is full of mountaintop experiences and valleys. That's why I believe reading through the Psalms every single year helps you categorize your emotions and your feelings based on life because life provides both aspects. It's going to provide mountaintop experiences for in those moments you just say, Lord, you are so good and you're so gracious and I am just such enjoying and experiencing this beautiful happiness and peaceful life right now. Lord, everywhere I go, there you are. And then there's going to be moments where your enemies are coming around you or they've taken over your camp or they've destroyed all your loved ones or you've lost a child or you've lost your job or whatever it is that's going on in your life. And in those moments, you're going to be looking at God and saying, I'm not enjoying this. I don't like this. Where are you, Lord? And he's still just as good and gracious and merciful as he was when it was on the mountaintop. But it allows us to be able to navigate through life knowing that there's going to be these temporary moments of up and down and they're there to keep pushing us towards something that actually fulfills those moments rather than putting our hope in the moments. Again, you don't have to be Christian to understand this, to feel this. You can ask your secular, non-Christian friend, does your job satisfy you? Does your relationship satisfy you? Do you have enough money? And if they keep saying yes and yes and yes, keep prodding. You'll find something. Even if they're lying to themselves, you'll find something. Because this is our reality. We've bought into the lie and God's created everything for us to always want more. He's actually created us to always want More. That's not a bad thing. It's just you need to understand it in the way he's ordered creation. I mean, think about this. When you were 13, 14 years old, all you wanted was more freedom from your parents, right? That's the main thing on your mind at at that kind of age was, I just need more freedom from my parents. And so you could not wait for that driver's license. If I could just turn 16 and get a driver's license which for me in the South was turning 14 and getting a motorcycle's license because Tennessee. But get freedom, get out. But then at that point it was, you know what, it's not enough. I just want to graduate high school. I want to get out of here. I want, to, I want to not just get freedom from my parents. I want to get freedom from my city, from my town. I want to get out of here. I want to go to college. I want to pick the right college. And then you get the right college and it's still not enough. I want to get out of college. I want to graduate. I'm, I'm done with making papers. So, maybe I can just get out of college and get a job, get that right job, the job that I always wanted. And you get the job, and the job's not enough. Maybe I need a spouse. Maybe I need a, someone to come do this with me. And then you get the spouse, and it's still not enough. You got to work at it. I didn't know it was going to be worked at, but you got to work at it. Maybe the spouse is enough. What'll fix It's kids. Let's get some kids. Let's just. Let's just take our you know, discombobulated, joyful relationship and let's just throw some little mini-me's in the mix because that'll fix everything and solve everything. And then you get the kids, and then they're not enough, so let's just multiply those and get more of them. You just keep going and going and going, and it's never enough. And that's good. The reason why it's good is because if it was enough, you'd stop. Stop. God's created the temporary to serve its purpose of never satisfying you so that eventually when someone declares the truth that Christ is our sufficiency and that only in Him will we find our longing to be satisfied, we'll get it. And when that happens, we're able to finally get to the place that what's what's been robbing us of joy and satisfaction is actually now just kind of like the cherry on top. Because when we're getting our satisfaction and our longing fulfilled in Christ alone at every avenue of our life, like we're not compartmentalizing Jesus. We're not saying he's an add-on to our life. He is defining our life at every level. I work the job, which is easy for me because I'm a pastor, but I work the job I work because Jesus says so. That's just not for me as a pastor. If you are a marketer or a graphic designer, you work the job you work because Jesus says so. If you are a stay-at-home mom, you're doing that because Jesus says so. Whatever it is that you are filling in the blank, you are doing it because Jesus is defining that for you. And therefore, because he's defining that for you, you're able to, whether it's word or deed, whatever you're doing, doing it all for the glory of him, because in him you find the satisfaction, not in doing whatever it is in word or deed for your own glory, your own satisfaction. No, the only way for us to be satisfied is if we are satisfied in him alone. And then we get to enjoy everything on top of that. He's not taking away those things. Now, God forbid He does take away those things because you're too hard-headed to learn and understand that without those things, Christ is all you need. We need to understand that it is Christ and Him alone that gives us the joy that we need. I would argue that almost every dark chapter of human history, almost every dark chapter of your life and mine, every act of rebellion against a holy God could be boiled down to this cavern of eternity in our hearts and us trying to take temporary things and jam it in the tank in the hopes of it'll make life run. I really think that's, that's, that's where it's at. Like, when we think of when we think of Christianity and we think of what we're doing versus what we're not doing, like oftentimes people see that like those who need Jesus are those who are uh, giving themselves over to debauchery or sin or drugs or alcoholism or whatever it looks like. That they're running their life, like it's easy to look at that person and say, yeah, you can totally see that they're going after something that's never going to satisfy them. It's harder to see it even for us as Christians that we still buy into the exact same lie. And again, again, This is why we constantly use the phrase, you have got to preach the gospel to yourself daily, daily. Because right now, every time you open up your phone, there is marketing going on that even you as a believer are missing out. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. Like, I don't know if y'all realize this. They're even packaging what we used to like and trying to make it new for us. Like, you realize that there's now a smartphone that flips, right? As if that wasn't a thing before. Like, I used to have a flip phone. I used to call it a flop phone because the spring broke and it just kind of dangled there. But... But now, like, I liked that. Like, I liked the, the, the flip phone. And so now to know that there's a smartphone that flips, and, and I don't think they actually call it, they call it the fold or whatever, like the, the smart fold. And I'm like, that's just dumb. It's just the exact same thing. It's You've gone from a dumb flip phone to a smart fold phone. Like, it's still, they're just marketing for us that, hey, what didn't work before can now work because we made it better. And it's going to be the same thing. I might put it on my list because I think it's cool. But we're buying into this lie, even as believers, even as Christians, that what we need is more of what we already have. What we need is more of what we already have. Or we're buying into the lie that what you need is just a better version of yourself. Right? Better version of yourself. That Dwayne five years from now, Dwayne 10 years from now, is going to be what I'm longing for right now. I will mature. I'll be smarter, hopefully, if I keep reading. If I would start working out, maybe I'll be in better shape by that point than what I am now. So I'm going to be a better version of myself. And we're buying into these lies, and the reality is it's just, they're, they're just never going to work. Never going to work. I'm not saying that we don't get things and we don't enjoy things, but we don't put our hope in those things. We don't put our hope in those things. Into this madness, this is what I believe the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes would say, the eye is always seeing but never full, the ear is always hearing but never satisfied, this is the idea that you'll always want more. You'll always be chasing. You'll always be like a dog after its tail, running and running and running and never able to catch it. And even if, even if you do catch it, you'll wonder, what now? What do I do? What's the next thing? I caught the tail. I get another tail? What do I do? And into this madness, a child is born. Into this madness, a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. Christ is born. The divine invasion begins and Jesus is going to solve this problem of not only eternity, but also going to solve the problem of what to do with stuff. I want you to turn to John 1 with me, real quick. John 1. As you're getting there, I want to read a quote by Clive Lewis, ghetto C.S. Lewis. Some of you know C.S. Lewis from his Chronicles of Narnia. But here's a quote that he says. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis, using logic, sees that empiricism doesn't work. And empiricism is just a philosophical school of thought that you'll hear all the time in our culture that says knowledge, true knowledge, truth, can only be experienced via the five senses can only be experienced through the five senses. And so you'll meet people who's like, you know, you believe in God? Well, if God's around, then show me God and I'll believe him. That's empiricism. That's saying I need to sense him in order to experience him. And what we see in John 1, I want to point out a couple of things in this very well-known text. John 1, starting in verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Notice the word capitalized there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there are two things to talk about in this text. The first thing is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This just said that Jesus is not a creation of God, but that he is God and he has always existed. He is the embodiment of eternity. Eternity. Therefore, if Christ reigns and rules in our hearts, he fills the gap of eternity. So going back to that Ecclesiastes 3.11, he's placed eternity on our hearts to long for, which ultimately means that he has placed in our hearts the longing for Christ. For Christ. And when Christ comes and lives in our hearts and dwells within us, we then have that fulfillment of the eternity that we are longing for. So that's the first part. The second part then I want you to see here is let me show you this kind of from a Colossians 1:27 passage. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when you and I submit our lives to Jesus, when you and I are reborn, when we are made new in the gospel, the Bible tells us we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, the promise. And you have what theologians call a union with Christ. A union with Christ. In this union that we have with Christ, everything makes sense. Everything makes sense. Everything that we were longing for that didn't work out makes sense now because we can now look at it and see that Jesus created it for good, for us to enjoy, but when we tried to enjoy it to fulfill the longing in our hearts and it didn't, what was the problem? Well, it was because we didn't have Christ. Christ. So now when Christ comes in to satisfy us, we can then still go and enjoy the things that we were enjoying, but now we get to see them as God's creation for us to enjoy as we are satisfied in Jesus alone. Look like again, Christianity is not anti-fun. It's not anti-enjoyment. It's not anti-pleasure. It's actually redeeming those things and putting them in the right categories. Like it's not anti-sex, it's not um, anti-money, it's not anti-entertainment. It's actually redeeming those things in God's creative order so that when you participate in those things, you are actually experiencing the fullness of them because they are rightly defined and ordered by God himself. It's when we pervert those things and try to redefine them as culture constantly does that you then not only belittle them and you actually demean them and you actually pervert them, that we then try to go after much more of it thinking that more of it will be what actually solves the problem. And that's why you have the big stewarding issue is because we don't know what's too much and what's not enough. And so when Christ comes into us, Christ and His cross Christ's perfection, His righteousness given to us, this becomes our hope of glory. Because at this moment, union with Christ, what we are longing for to be satisfied in Christ, something else that we were also longing for is not just for us to be satisfied, but for us to be seen as perfect. For us to be seen as perfect. This is why you want a better version of yourself. This is why you care about what other people think of you. It's because you want to be seen as the image of God. Because that's how you were designed. That's how you were created. You want to be seen as good. You want to be seen as holy. You want to be seen as what God intended you to be seen as. But the only way in which you can be seen as how God intended you to be seen is if Christ is in you and he then sees you as he sees Jesus. That's the only way that's going to be satisfied and fulfilled is that when we're abiding in him, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus and we then live under the banner of our father is proud of us because our lives are in union with Christ. When we're not in union with Christ and we're trying to make daddy proud of us, it's not going to work out. It's not going to go the way that we want it to go. Because we're going to try to implement all of the rules and commands and, and religiosity that never is going to work out. This is, if you really want to look at that, go back and study the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the New Testament. All they care about is making daddy proud. To the point that they took all the rules that daddy gave them and they said, you know what, it wasn't enough. I'm going to so make you proud that I'm going to add rules to it. and I'm going to make everyone else that, that, that aren't following the rules feel guilty of it because I want, I want them to know that, 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 that you, we care more about you than what we care about them. And, and we care more about making sure that you're proud than we care about what, what they're doing. And so we're going, to, we're going to kind of create this chasm of good and evil. And Jesus has some very specific words for them, right? <laughs> when he comes on the scene. This is the idea of the older brother and the prodigal son. There is a party that is being had when the prodigal son returns. And the, other, the older brother is outside. Being invited into the party from his father. But choosing not to come because he thinks it's unfair. He's been doing everything right all along. And yet he didn't get rewarded. We didn't get rewarded because he was doing it in his own strength. He was doing it in his own ability, in his own ideology. And it's not working out for him. We have the same invitation every single day. is come to me and I will give you rest. I will satisfy that longing in your heart. Don't listen to the ads on TV. Don't listen to the nostalgia of, of, of meals and traditions and celebrations. Don't buy into those lies that those are going to be what actually fixes your life in this season. And don't let this season just simply be a drug to numb you from all the pain and peril that's going on in your life, so that then once you get through it on the back end of it, you're actually still going to be left probably even more dissatisfied because all you did was numb it for a few weeks. What God is inviting us to do in this season is to simply see that Jesus is the hope of glory. Jesus is the hope of glory. Jesus, as, 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 as simple as I can put it again, is the reason for the season. That in the midst of our gaping, eternal hole in our hearts, unto us a child is born. And there's going to be all kinds of adversaries trying to pull us away from that point, and that reason, and that hope. By saying, that's not going to be what fixes it. That's not going to be what solves it. It's not a baby in a manger. It's not Jesus. It's the new car. It's the nostalgia. It's the traditions. It's it's those things are going to be what you need in this season to get through 2020. To finish it out. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So don't get swept up in the lie of this kind of glad tidings and peace. What we need to get caught up in is the fact that God and his great love for us did not abandon us in the gap of eternity but invaded, fills the gap and now reorders all around us in such a way that all of our rejoicing should roll up into the ultimate rejoicing that Christ has come and that he's coming again. You see, Christ comes born of a baby first But when he returns, he's not coming as a baby again. Like he came in humility. He came the first time in a Philippians 2 where he emptied himself. When he comes again, he's not coming emptied. He's coming in his fullness on a white horse with a throne, with a scepter, with a tattoo on his thigh. And he is coming and he is going to be in his full glory. And the hope we have in that coming, is holding on to the same hope that He first came to begin with. And so when we walk in, man, when we leave today, and we're kind of pulling together again the Christmas list, and we're pulling together the plans, whatever they're going to look like, whether it's you know, coming home for Christmas or going to Zoom for Christmas or whatever it looks like, let's just remember and preach to ourself every single day, that's not going to provide for me the satisfaction that it's promising. Jesus is doing that. I just need Jesus. I need more of Jesus. Just give me Jesus. It'd be really easy if someone asked you, hey, well, what do you want for Christmas? I'll just take some Jesus. Well, that's great, little Christian. <laughs> like, what, what else do you want for Christmas? Well, if you want to throw a cherry on top, I'll... I'll take a fold smartphone. Like what whatever. Like just enjoy Jesus in the season and let everything else fall how it's supposed to fall. Because we're not making those things idols. We're after Christ alone. As we are singing, man, joy to the world. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. That's what we are getting caught up in. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Emmanuel, because he is God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son. We thank you that when you created us, you created us with a deep longing in our soul's for him. For him. That's one of the most foundational points that we that we can see, that we can experience, that we can feel deep. That there's something greater than just us, that there's something greater than just this these temporary moments and things that we experience or that we try to purpo- or purchase or that we try to enjoy. But Father, you sent your son Jesus to fill this gaping hole in our lives and and not only to fill it, but to satisfy. Like God, you're, you're after our pleasure. You're after our satisfaction. You want us to enjoy you for eternity. And the means by which you execute that is giving us Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection so that he ultimately does fix everything that is broken. And we thank you for this truth. I pray this truth gets embedded in our minds and gets embedded in our hearts so that as we continue to walk throughout these next three to four weeks, that we're able to just breathe out a sigh of relief, that there's nothing that we can get under a tree, that there's nothing that we can experience around a table, that there's none of those things that are actually going to satisfy. We, we, we can now walk into those situations and experiences and moments and memories, and we can enjoy them as common graces that roll up to us enjoying you ultimately. Because we do know that every good and perfect gift comes from above, and that you do give us family and friends to enjoy And so we thank you for those things. We just don't worship those things. We worship Jesus. Jesus alone. And that allows us to be the most freeing people that exist. And so I pray that for us, that we would be free and satisfied in Jesus alone. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. As we come to this time of communion, we get to come and experience, really, I mean, as we're kind of leaning into this season of gift giving, we get to lean into the fact that God did give the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, that to us a child was born, And yes, we are in this season celebrating the birth of Christ, but we know the birth of Christ is just the the first fulfillment of these 456 prophecies that are leading towards, ultimately, the death of this child that is born. That in order for us to actually have this relationship where He is satisfying us, is we have to go through the death of Jesus Christ. Because... Going back to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, he created everything. It was great. We broke it. We sinned against him. Humanity fractured it. And because humanity fractured it, we know from the Bible in Romans 3 and Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And so when we sin, death is deserved. Death is deserved. And so it would have been right and just for God in that moment to look at Adam and Eve and just annihilate them. He would have remained good and he would have remained gracious and he would have remained holy in that moment just to kill them. He's creator. But that's not what he did. Instead, he preached the first gospel that he will come and substitute himself in our place and take upon himself the death that we deserve because of our sin, because of our mess up, And He will fulfill it for us by one day sending His Son and crushing Him by pouring His wrath out on His Son so that the wrath due to you is now satisfied because He's poured it out on Jesus Christ. And in that moment, Jesus Christ then being put to death looks at us and says, they are now forgiven. Past, present, future, all your sins forgiven. No debt left to be paid. And then He raises three days later, later, triumphing over death, sin, and evil guaranteeing for us as well that he who is eternal past will also be eternal future inviting us now into that same eternity because not only is he powerful over death but he's powerful over time and has all authority to now grant to us his righteousness because he's taken our unrighteousness from us because he's given us his righteousness we are now able to be satisfied in Christ and to now enjoy Him for the rest of eternity. And that's all because of Him shedding His blood and breaking His body on a cross. On a cross. Eternity hinges on the cross. Defined by the cross. And So today we're celebrating that. If you have ahead a time in your life where, where that has run true in your life, that you're no longer running for the temporary things, but you're in Christ, then you get to celebrate and remember by partaking of communion. And if you're not a believer and, and, and you've not done that, this is the opportunity for you to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm team Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to have my life satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone then you get to receive that by accepting Him, by trusting in Him, by putting faith in Him, by saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I want to follow you. I don't want to continue doing things my own way. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. And that's salvation. That's salvation. So let's take this moment. Let's take this time. As believers, as Christians, let's remember why we're doing this. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking your body. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood, giving me the opportunity to now enjoy you forever. And in this season of Christmas, to be able to rightly navigate it, knowing that I don't have to believe in the lies that I'm lacking or that my life stinks because it doesn't stink because I have Jesus. And then I can enjoy those things as they are common graces for us. So let's participate. Let's commune together as we enjoy Jesus. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church?